I just uh, want, first we'll have Kathy will be reading the passage out of Genesis and then Rob will be reading out of Matthew. So Kathy, we're going to send it to you. But during the night, this is a Jacob. During the night, he got up and took his two wives. It's complicated his two maidservants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jibok. He got them safely across the brook along with all his possessions. But Jacob stayed behind by himself and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip of joint. The man said, let me go. It's daybreak. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. The man said, what's your name? He answered, Jacob. The man said, but no longer. Your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, it's Israel, God wrestler. You have wrestled with God and you have come through. Jacob said, what's your name? And the man said, why do you want to know my name? And then he said, right then and there, he blessed him. Jacob called the place Peniel, God's face, because he said, I saw God face to face and lived to tell the story. The sun came up as he left Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is why Israelites to this day don't eat the hip muscle, because Jacob's hip was thrown out of joint. Um. Thank you. So if you want to head over to Rob, that would be great. Hi, I'm on here. Can you hear me? Uh, this is just uh, the disciples had told Jesus about the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, now when Jesus heard this, uh, he went away from there privately in a boat to an isolated place. But when the crowd heard about it, they followed him on foot from the towns. As he got there, um, as he got out, he saw the large crowd and he had compassion on them to heal their sick. When evening arrived, his disciples came to him saying, this is an isolated place and the hour is already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy, buy food for themselves. But he replied, they don't have to go. You can give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Bring them here to me, he replied. Then he instructed the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, who in turn gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up the broken pieces, uh, left over 12 baskets full. Not counting women and children, there were about 5,000 men who ate. Some big fish. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for that, you guys. I appreciate that. So we've got those two passages this morning. And before we get into that, I just thought it would be good to acknowledge that, you know, we've been in pandemic mode long enough that there have been a few, I'm not sure exactly what to call them, um, these, these pandemic phases that we've gone through. You know, like, remember, we've seen the toilet paper frenzy, the uh the tiger king chronicles the sourdough stage 
the wait in the Costco lineup for three hours stage, right? So we've been at this long enough that that I actually forgot that some of those things were a thing. And that that is saying something. So um, today I wanted to start out by touching on a current phenomenon that may or may not be finding its way into your home. It's, uh, it's caused a run on 20 Mule Team Borax, Arm & Hammer Laundry Soda, and Powdered Tide. Yeah, that's right. I'm talking about laundry stripping. So I have just completed stripping my white towels and I am threatening to do the same to Josh's nasty running gear. But you guys, stripping laundry is a whole thing. Yeah, it's made especially for those of us who love gross but productive things like, I don't know, scab picking and ear cleaning with Q-tips. So uh, anyways, you, you mix up this concoction that's got borax, washing soda, Tide and bleach and, and you dump it into a tub with hot water and you toss the offending items in there and then you agitate it and then you leave it and then you agitate it and on and on this cycle of walking away and agitating goes all the while the water surrounding and soaking the clothes just gets like dirtier and more rank as the layers of dirt and sweat and gross that just don't get caught when we do laundry as usual get stripped away. After literally hours and hours and hours of this, you drain your tub, take your drippy laundry to the washing machine and wash it as you do. So when all is done and dried, you will be amazed, overjoyed, posting photos on Instagram because of how awesome your towels, duvet covers, curtains, workout gear, old shirts are. Yellow stains and supposed permanent stink, gone. Dingy towels are fluffy and bright again, hallelujah. Things you thought were good as garbage have found new life and new purpose just because you entered into this wonderful world of laundry stripping. Turns out there was nothing wrong with your towels. Your cleaning regime just needed a kick in the pants. And if you think I'm going to try and make an obvious connection to how we might need to give our interpretations and faith practices a kick in the pants every now and then, you would not be wrong. So before we get into this work today, though, we should read the warning label. With laundry stripping, the warning goes like this. Only use bleach and Tide or you will need an ambulance ride. Yeah, apparently... Other detergent brands react with bleach to create toxic fumes that can literally be life-threatening. And I would submit, for today's purposes, that not being aware of our own filters or biases, not keeping in mind who the original story was written to, and not reading with the life and ministry of Jesus in mind, will give us interpretations that will do more harm than good. History proves this, does it not? So today, we're mostly going to be working with the story of Jacob's Midnight Wrestling Match. And here's one of the things I tried to keep in mind as I read through the text. This was not eyewitness news people were reading. And it's really easy in our day and age to forget that. The story of Jacob was written 300 years after it actually happened. And it was written to a group of formerly formerly enslaved people whose prophetic imagination, their emotional well-being and creative potential had been squashed through years and years and years of systemic oppression. Some of these stories were written to show people how they should live or what they should remember about the God who loved them. 
And sometimes it was accomplished by showing what happens when people forget who God is and who they were meant to be. So this concludes the warning label section for this sermon. Uh, in, in Genesis at, at verse 24, uh, I think it's chapter 32, it says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip, hip was put out a joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So with this new lens on, it made me question my long held belief that Jacob gets blessed because he fights or contends for it. Perseverance is a great trait. There are many places in life where it does it well. But when we say that the wrestling is what caused the blessing, it felt transactional. Like, is that a thing? Does God withhold blessing till we've jumped through the right hoops? I think sometimes we act like this is true. But imagine you've been enslaved and have had every good thing taken away, maybe even in the name of God for generations. Do you need to hear that if you tried a bit harder, you'd have had more blessing? Maybe not. If it's not good news for everybody, we need to keep looking for the good news that liberates us all. So I wondered then, what if this isn't about the power of confession? When Jacob says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I think he's revealing a twisted belief that's caused him to live in scarcity and deception his whole life. We can only change stuff that we're willing to bring out of the dark night and into the light of a new day. In fact, it might be our confession that makes the new day possible. Think of beliefs that have felt so true, but were actually rooted in our own projections, traditions, and insecurities. This is where that, that prayer that, that Eden led us in this morning is so brilliant. It lets us confess what we believe, and then we can have a different experience with it. Confession is part of what sets us free, isn't it? It, it makes changing our minds and believing something better possible. But boy, does it ever cause agitation. That is a wrestle, friends. Jacob has broken beliefs and practices, but it doesn't push God away. He gets in the middle of the mess because God cares deeply about broken people. Remember that Jacob is both an oppressor and a victim. He's a victim of a human institution of firstborn blessing that creates hierarchy and segregation. That has never been God's dream for humanity. So in trying to secure a blessing for himself, Jacob becomes an oppressor, a deceiver. Literally, his name means heel grabber, always trying to snatch more to soothe that ache of not being enough, always using people and things to try and scratch an itch he can't quite reach. This system causes untold grief in many biblical narratives, as all systems of discrimination do. The only picture of reconciliation that Jacob can imagine is kind of this total re reversal where now he gets dominated by Esau. But nobody ever wants to trade place with the victimized. Nobody wants to be a slave. And oppression, oppression frequently bears the rancid fruit of suppressed imaginations. It's hard to imagine anything but what exists when you're in an oppressive system. No wonder it's a wrestle. 
No wonder he's beside himself. It's the cost of upholding injustice. It's left Jacob feeling alone and terrified that he will have done to him what he has done to others. And he sees literally everybody as an enemy because like, who is this man that he's fighting with? Is it an angel? Is it God? Is it his ego? Is it Esau in disguise? I mean, these are all theories that people have proposed and it really is just an interesting mystery that we're going to have to leave for another time. But like he's alone and now he's fighting with this guy. Why? He's flying solo. He's afraid and still aching to be legitimately blessed. But his hands are so full from grasping for things that are not his to take. Where would the blessing land anyway? The truth will set him free. He just doesn't know it yet. Can you feel the ache in his declaration? Somebody bless me. God cares about broken systems and all the people suffering within them. Let's just let that soak for a moment. The feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew is the alternate text for this week. And in some ways, it's the antithesis for the cautionary tale of Jacob. When Jesus sees the people are hungry, that they have a need, what does he do? What does he show us God is like? He takes the not enough and the imperfect and he blesses it. And then he makes a feast of it. He and the disciples feed them, every last one. Not once does he ask about their politics, their theology. He never makes them pay up or sing for their supper. How many of you are like me and were taught implicitly or explicitly that God's blessing comes from having the right practice or the right interpretations? Like if, if you've got to just think about it in your life when something good happens, oh, I must have figured out God right. Or if a church is growing, we must have right theology. Or if like, just think about all the ways that we make those if then transactional statements. God's blessing which, will, which comes further in the text in the story of Jacob, is actually remarkably frustrating to me. He's done nothing blessworthy. But Jesus shows us that God meets us where we are hungry and feeds us. And I know I say it every time, but Jesus is just the best ever. God in Christ has shown us that, that this giving and blessing is just what God does and who God is. Blessers gotta bless, man. Lovers gotta love. Givers gotta give. It's not about what I or Jacob or the crowd or anyone does or believes. So let's agitate this a bit more. Back to Genesis. Verse 27. So Jacob says to the man, no, sorry, other way around. So the man says to Jacob, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Now, it doesn't say when Jacob stops wrestling, but I think it's in this moment when the man asks him, what is your name? I can just, I can just picture it, you know, like Jacob's like, he's in it to win it. He's trying to overpower this man to coerce him into a blessing because that's what he thinks people are for. And the guy asks him, what's your name? I, it reminds me of that moment in The Princess Bride, you know, that classic movie where Wesley and Princess Buttercup are being accosted by the evil prim, Prince Humperdinck and his henchmen outside the fire swamp. 
and the standoff is escalating and Humperdinck shouts, for the last time, surrender! And Wesley yells back, death first! And suddenly Princess Buttercup interjects, will you promise not to hurt him? And they immediately stop, look at her and say, what was that? That question makes no sense, except that what is your name is an incredibly rehumanizing and disarming question. What if Jacob is so taken aback that he just answers plainly, truthfully, without trying to get anything? Real truth. Broken systems dehumanize everyone in them. You, you can't perpetuate them and not limp. But causing Jacob to remember his name shakes something loose in him. And I wonder, I wonder if the original audience, when they heard this, and they'd spent their lives as slaves, as being less than nothing. Or maybe you've felt like you were less than nothing. Maybe you need to remind it, be reminded. If you've been treated like a thing and not a person, you have a name. You matter to God. Your life matters. What is your name? And then the man renames him. And, and I'm honestly not sure it's an improvement, but maybe it is more accurate. Think about what you know of the future history of Israel, always in a back and forth wrestle with God. Truth begets truth, I guess. But regardless, the man says to him, you have striven or some say contended or conquered God and humans and prevailed or and won, persevered. I'm uncomfortable that conquering or prevailing over God and humans in my life is a good idea. Whenever we elevate ourselves or try to grab power or status at the cost of another person, we dehumanize them and break relationships. God cares about broken relationships. One of the quickest and easiest ways we do this is by using labels for others instead of just names. It's hard to take advantage of a person but if they could just be a little bit less than a person, it's easier to use them without feeling so badly. And it costs us like it costs Jacob, like it has always cost enslaved people. Labels dehumanize. Amalekites, Gentiles, Pharisees, those liberals, those conservatives, they're progressive, they're traditional, Marxist, capitalist, animals, savages. God forgive us. It's powerful to leave the labels behind and remember our names, to remember their names. Let it soak. I also want to notice how proximity is part of the kryptonite for Jacob. Whoever the man was, he wasn't afraid to get close and in the mess with Jacob. We don't have to do this alone. We don't have to go through big change and clean up big messes, whether they're in us, in our cities, or not in our nation. May we be unafraid to agitate and see the messes we've made for nobody, not even Jacob, is actually alone in the struggle. In Matthew, Jesus doesn't leave hungry people to their own devices. And, and God is somehow present in the wrestle. Even in the midst of his struggle, 
Something is changing in Jacob when he answers his name. I think he's remembered himself. He'd been dueling to the death or at least to the pain with this mystery man. And now he wants to get to know him. That's a big deal. In verse 29, Jacob asks him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. I wonder, especially because Jacob brings it up again when he comes face to face in the next chapter with his estranged brother Esau. I wonder if the blessing isn't that Jacob has remembered that to look into the face of another human being is to see the face of God. It's hard to look at someone as an outsider and an enemy when you're busy looking for the God spark in them. Yeah, let's let that soak one more time. Rachel Hall Evans said in her book, Searching for Sunday, that what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. If we go back to Jesus feeding the 5,000, we can see the kingdom of God revealed in who Jesus includes in the feeding. He was speaking to a system that had hierarchies as well. They still hadn't rid themselves of firstborn privilege and men were the biggest of deals. And if you weren't part of the right group or the right class, you might get left out of a dinner invitation altogether. But when Jesus does dinner, everyone's invited. Did you notice in the reading at the very end, it, it says what might look like an insignificant add on to us, but I think it would have meant the world back there. 5,000 men, as well as women and children. And actually, this is so fun. When, when it's all done, there are 12 baskets left over. And this is where Jacob shows up in this story, at least symbolically, because Jacob becomes Israel, who has 12 sons, who make up the nation of Israel, which was meant to be a sign and symbol of what the whole kingdom of God looks like. You guys, there is enough in the kingdom of God for all people. There is enough. You are enough. You are included. Everyone is included. The good news is good news for everybody. So now we wash, dry and fold because shockingly the best part of stripping laundry is not that the water gets all murky and churned up. It's how old things are made new when all is said and done. The story of Jacob's wrestle shows me that God sees and cares and is in the middle of broken systems, broken relationships and broken people. And God is with us in the agitation and the wrestle when we've forgotten who God is and who we are. Because in the end, the truth rises to the surface. And every broken belief, broken policy, broken connection, and broken idea can be washed away when love is there. Jacob's story does not end neatly. It, it doesn't have a tidy bow. Cautionary tales are like that. They are sobering and reflective. But Jesus shows us that, that, that the murky water that comes from agitation will get washed away and the kingdom of God remains. Truth remains. Love remains. And the best news of all is that we are invited to participate in it 
right now, broken pieces and all. So as we close, I would invite you to picture yourself in that crowd of thousands. Maybe take a, take a deep breath. We've done lots of agitating and soaking. Picture yourself in that crowd. And maybe this morning when we were doing our meditation together, there was, there was a, a broken belief, a statement of your too muchness or not enoughness that you could name. Something that you've been living by that you'd want to share with Jesus. I invite you, maybe open your hands and just picture bringing your not enough to him. Watch and listen. What does he do? What does he say? Is there a better truth you could exchange with him? I want you to picture yourself holding on to that better truth and then taking it to the crowd and participating with Jesus in the feeding. He wants your participation in the kingdom, in your life, in your world in your own self. Or maybe you are invited to be fed by someone you thought was outside of the circle. What kingdom truth can you receive from them today? Those who have ears, let them hear the word of God. Amen. So unless there's some big questions or whatever, or something that people want to discuss, Dean, I'm going to put it over to you. Okay.